0: From St. Louis Public Radio, this is St. Louis on the Air. You know, we've all seen these sort of viral videos, you have one mm-hmm. that takes off, nobody comes back. People came back.
1: People came back. Yeah, that's, that's why I was lucky. One of the, the first ideas I had about YouTube is that you have to have a lot of content.
0: I think some people probably think, oh, this is so nice. He can just sit there in his pajamas and his bow tie and, and record himself talking. There's a lot more there's that a goes lot of work. into if, this. If
1: you want YouTube to pay like a job, you have to treat it like a job. People of my generation say you can't make money on YouTube, and people of my daughter's generation think everybody's making money on YouTube. And in between, if you treat it like a job and you put out good quality stuff, then I think there's a good chance you'll succeed. I'm Sarah Fensky.
0: If you're trying to get up to speed on a fascinating but forgotten chapter in world history, you might well find yourself on Lance Geiger's YouTube channel. The bow-tied, bespectacled resident of O'Fallon, Illinois, has posted more than 700 videos, each offering a straightforward, fact-filled narration. He calls himself the History Guy, and he's notched more than 161 million views.
1: I loved history since I was a little kid, and I firmly believe that history does not need to be boring, and so I created the channel The History Guy, Five Minutes of History, to tell stories of forgotten historical events and people that really deserve to be remembered in a format that fits your busy schedule, with all the videos between 5 and 15 minutes long. From ancient history to modern history, if you love history, this is the channel for you.
0: And that is the History Guy, who recently nabbed his one millionth YouTube subscriber. And the man behind the bow tie joins us today. So Lance Geiger, welcome.
1: Welcome. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: (laughs) So Lance, you started this channel in 2017. You'd been laid off from a corporate job. Had this idea been in the back of your head even before that? Oh,
1: yeah. You know, uh, I've always loved just telling stories about history. And people all the time through my whole life would say, you should make a living doing that. I just had no idea how to. And it was really when I was kind of forced... To that I,
0: that, I figured it out. So, I imagine there's a lot of listeners thinking, well, why not just become a history teacher? You didn't go that route at all. You got a master's in something else, mm-hmm. and you've just kind of let history slide for a while.
1: I did. Well, I mean, it was always kind of part of what I was doing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I guess life just kind of led me different directions. Uh, And then by the time I was looking at doing it, of course, it would have been quite a lot to go back and get a Ph.D. or whatever. But, I mean, I am a history teacher. I just got to do it in a a more fun format where I get to talk about what I want to talk about. And
0: a much bigger audience.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: (laughs) So initially, this audience was not that big.
1: No, I think it was just my mom and I.
0: (laughs) So your mom's faithfully tuning in. Um, You know, there's so many people who set out to try to become a YouTube star. And there's very few who hit this level of success. What was the key for you in this taking off?
1: I, I wish I had a good answer to yeah. that because people ask me all the time, you know, how do I get more listeners? How do I turn into a big YouTube channel? And I, I think there's a lot of luck that's involved. But I, it's a lot of work. I mean, you got to treat it like a job. Uh, and it, I think there's some skill or I think I maybe have some talent for it. I think that's involved too. Uh, and then there's, I mean, the, the luck part is that the way that YouTube works, the more you're seen, the more they put you in front of people so that you'll be seen more. So when you're small, it's very, very difficult to grow. So it really was just one video that I made in the summer of 2017. uh, Sometime in the spring of 2018, it suddenly hit popular and got a few thousand views, and that exposed me to more people and then it grew very, very quickly after that.
0: So your big breakout, this was the Pan American Flight 6. Is Mm -hmm. this the one you're referring to? Pan Am Flight 6, yeah. Okay, so I want to play a clip from this um, from the History Guys take on Pan Flight Six
1: On January 15th, 2009, US Airways Flight 1549, under the command of Captain Chesley Sullenberger, was forced to ditch in the Hudson River after engine failure, making international headlines and turning Captain Sully into an international hero. But US Air 1549 was not by any means the first passenger aircraft that was forced to ditch in the ocean, and in fact in the era before jet engines it was more common. And there was a particular instance in 1956 where a passenger plane had to ditch in much more terrifying circumstances, and it is definitely a story worth remembering, and that is why today The History Guy remembers the story of Pan American Flight 6.
0: And so that is the history guy. My guest today is the history guy, Lance Geiger. That one really took off. It sounds like that kind of had a slow build for you.
1: It did. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were – before you can get paid by YouTube, you have to earn $100 in ad revenue. And after months – I mean, I started in March. By the end of the year, I I had, I think, maybe $0.70 booked in the account. So I mean, it really was a leap of faith there. I mean, money's running out. this is this is my plan. It's not making any money. and that's when this came along. It was a but once this hit, uh, I think I got my first check the next month for a couple hundred bucks. Okay. Uh, but by August, it was paying my mortgage.
0: Wow. I mean, that's so once it took off, it really took it off. It really took off. Yeah. I imagine with this one, it might have been Google that originally led people to this. You, you very smartly sort of tied it to this current event. So mm-hmm. people are finding you through that. But, you know, we've all seen these sort of viral videos. You have one that mm-hmm. takes off. Nobody comes back. People came back.
1: People came back. Yeah, that's that's why I was lucky. One of the, the first ideas I had about YouTube is that you have to have a lot of content because if someone sees your video, you got to have more there for them to see in order to hook them. And so I really focused that first year on just getting videos out. I mean, I was putting a lot of videos out, still do. I mean, I put out three videos a week. I mean, uh, that
0: seems like a lot of work right there. Uh, <laughs> I think some people probably think, oh, this is so nice. He can just sit there in his pajamas and his bow tie and, and record himself talking. There's a lot more There's that a lot goes of work. into this. If, if
1: you want YouTube to pay like a job, you have to treat it like a job. That's that's what I would say. I mean, so that, that's one of the misconceptions. I mean, if you people of my generation say you can't make money on YouTube. And people of my daughter's generation think everybody's making money on YouTube. And in between, if you treat it like a job and you put out good quality stuff, then I think there's a good chance you'll succeed.
0: So it makes sense to me now that you're sort of maintaining this pace. I mean, you have all these eager, eager viewers. I mean, reading your comment section, it's like a comment section. Nowhere else. People are so engaged. They're bringing ideas to you. They're mm-hmm. just eating this up. But I imagine back when it was just your mom watching, you might have started to second-guess yourself a little bit.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, before Pan Am 6 hit, the, the month before, I almost gave up. Uh, and uh, my wife I – we mean, were no longer married – but my wife at the time said, "Don't, don't give up. And I didn't.
0: I'm interested that she said, keep going with this, because I feel like if this were my husband, I'd be like, you got to go get a job, honey. Like, we need a salary coming in here. She believed that, that you had she, this concept that worked. She believed it,
1: and she believed it was going to work, yeah. And, and uh, so she was there and and let me keep going. And and then, because uh, her job had some difficulties. So in mm-hmm. August, I could say to her, you know, you don't have to stay there, because this is paying the rent now if you want to do something else.
0: And so you were able to kind of return that I was favor. able to
1: return the favor, yeah.
0: So as you say, this, you know, once this pandemic. AM video took off. A whole lot of things began to take off. It starts paying your mortgage. This is now not just your salary. You have employees. I
1: have employees. Yeah.
0: How many employees do you have? I have
1: two employees, and that's they're and their family. One of them is yeah. my my ex wife's sister. is my business manager, and she handles everything that's not making videos. Uh, I wish I'd, she'd been with me today because I got lost on the way to the studio. <laughs> Carolyn helps me with things like that.
0: You needed her there. Yeah,
1: I do. I'm, I I pretty much can make videos. That's what I can do. Uh, and then my son, my oldest son Josh, who's thirty, and he works for us now. He writes about half the scripts now. He runs the podcast. And so it's it's a small group that's all together. But I mean, that's what allows us to keep up the pace that we do.
0: I mean, that's pretty cool. The fact this is able to pay three salaries. Absolutely. This is, you're living yeah. the YouTube dream here. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And and it, you know, for like Carolyn, for my business manager, it meant she didn't have to drive. She's got four sons and yeah. she didn't have to drive in the city anymore. She could work from home. And uh, for my son, it's just a, it's a dream to be able to work with him. He's amazing. And, and we get to talk an awful lot. He lives in Wyoming, so I don't get to see him all the time. Uh, and to provide a salary for him to do what he loves, I mean, that's the is living the dream
0: yeah that's amazing i want to talk about this podcast in a minute but before we we talk about that i want to talk about these videos because what makes it so interesting is you're finding so many different random stories and even for people who consider themselves well-read they might be shocked at some of these things that, that you're coming up with and then you're also keeping it so factual like you're not just on there sort of like giving a screed What's the hardest part of this? Is it finding the idea to begin with or is it getting the good information so you can then I, you know, turn it's this the into research? A story. I mean, finding
1: the I mean there's just plenty of ideas out there. So it's I mean that's yeah, that can be challenge? There's, there's days when you're sitting there and you're like, what am I gonna do tomorrow? But most of the time that's not a sh- No, I've got a thousand topics I think bookmarked on my on my laptop. We get every time you make a video you probably get fifty good topics from the from the people responding.
0: So your commenters really are giving oh, yeah, you yeah. fuel at this point. Yeah, we
1: have a we have a box for that. We have a, an email box for just suggestions at the history guy net, but we almost can't even keep up with the box, I mean, with all the stuff that comes in. So it's, there's just plenty of history out there and plenty of ways to find it. But once you do, especially when you're aiming for something that's lesser known history, then collecting enough and then collecting images, which have to be the public domain, I mean, it, that's the real work of the, of the channel. It takes me maybe an hour to do the videotaping, but the the work is in the writing, the script, and then doing the production after.
0: So what people think of as being a YouTube star, that's such a small part of your day. You're really a writer and researcher. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so
0: you're going back and and finding original sources for Mm -hmm. some of these more obscure tales? Yeah, I mean, but I do
1: it all from my basement. So, I mean, our our research is done on the web, and a lot of it is done in old newspapers. And, I mean, so we've become very good at at, at trolling the web. But, I mean, I'm not in a library somewhere finding someone's birth records. uh, But uh, we do... I think that both Josh and I are very good at finding stuff that would be difficult for someone else to find.
0: And are these like paid databases? Or if you're good enough at Google, this is really out there.
1: Well, you know, some of it, I mean, I, I, mean, I certainly pay for newspapers.com accounts and stuff a great like archive. that. It's, it's a great place. Yeah, it's, it's all there. And, and uh, it's really great to get that contemporary take on it. Even though anybody who lives today who's had something happen and you see it in the newspaper, it's not quite exactly <laughs> what you saw
0: there. You do hear this a lot in the journalism business. <laughs> yes, you know? that's first true. draft of history doesn't mean it's the final draft. <laughs> uh,
1: and sometimes that's all that we have to work with. But I mean, most of it's free. Most of it's just out there. You just have to become very very good at Google and very good at, at seeing where I mean, a lot of the time you find one source, that gets you to secondary sources and goes to there. But I mean, very frequently I'm buying books uh, on Kindle and, and then I go and use those and that's background research.
0: Do you ever find as you're getting deep into something that sort of the first take or the first source that you find, it was just wrong and, and you're up having to shatter the conventional wisdom.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All the time. Will, and uh, sometimes the, the contemporary papers will tell you a different story than they're, they're sharing afterwards. And you know, part of that is the nature of history, which changes over time. So we do have to try to, and where there's a conflict, I try to say these are the two sides of the story. I mean, my, my idea is just to try to get the information out there and let people make their own decisions. But yeah, you do find, and you know, I, find, I used to tell lots of stories of history that when I went and researched then, I found out I was telling them wrong. I've completely miseducated my sons over the years in the stories that I was telling. And and so that's part of the fun of it, is to go find out that it's not really the story you thought it was.
0: Do you lean into that controversy? I mean, we think of the history guy as kind of a a more sober-minded figure, but if you're finding out everything you knew about this was wrong, does that become a selling point? Yeah, it does. I mean, I I don't think I
1: seek controversy, but I I certainly will seek controversy in terms of history, if I want to say that this is maybe the way you've heard about this is not maybe how it happened, because this is how someone else... I'd love to tell that kind of story. I don't want to get into contemporary controversy. That's what I really try to avoid on the channel.
0: I was going to say, there's so much controversy right now around how do we teach history. And somehow the history guy seems to kind of rise above that, almost be a neutral operator. You're, you're doing that on purpose. That is my
1: goal. That is absolutely what we're aiming for. I mean, you can't completely remove bias from what you're doing, but you can certainly try and you can set that as your goal. And that's that's what we're aiming for, yeah.
0: So when you set out to do this, you thought you were going to be doing five-minute histories. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're not doing just five minutes. Most no. of them seem more like 15. Yeah,
1: we're closer to 15 now. I, th- that happened pretty early where I figured out that there the number of topics that really fit that, and as much as I wanted to say that the, the, about 15 minutes, I think for a while we said 10 to 15 minutes. Now some of them roll into 17. Uh, uh, but I, the idea, I mean, what we finally did, because uh, if you notice, if you listen to the history guy, you'll see that there's a point where I start talking very, very fast. And the reason was I was trying to fit what I wanted to say into my five minutes. And I said, that's just silly. Just yeah. tell the story and don't worry about the time. So that's where we are now. The idea is tell the story, uh, and if we pick the right story, it's going to be rough in the right time frame, but they're and, mostly 15 to 17 minutes. And do now. you find the
0: viewers are down for that? You know, your original idea was this is something you can squeeze in. You know, now you're asking for a little more time commitment, but they're following I you. think so.
1: Most of my audience does. I'm, I'm sure there are some that are like, didn't have time for 17 minutes, uh, but there's others who say, why don't you do this two hours? You know, why did you leave this out or that yeah. out? I, I'm just aiming for what's a, a good period of time to tell a good story. And you know, I don't think 15 or 17 minutes is probably going to ruin somebody's day. I think it still fits into their commute or wherever they're listening to it.
0: Squeeze it in at work when the boss isn't looking. (laughs) (laughs) So that leads us to the podcast. Um, You started this podcast a year ago. Your son Mm -hmm. Josh is the host. Mm -hmm. These are much longer stories. So what makes a good story for the podcast? Those are going like almost an hour.
1: They are. But what the podcast is, is it'll take the audio from two History Guy episodes It puts those together, and then it fills that in with Josh and I talking about how we researched the episode or things we learned about the episode. So the content is actually stuff from the YouTube channel that's put into the podcast form. And it started with someone saying, you should do this as a podcast because I listen to it and I don't want to watch it. Uh, And that's where we started with it. So we'll take a couple of episodes that relate to each other, and then uh, Josh will clean up the audio on that, and then Josh and I get a talk for... 20-25 20-25 minutes about, you know, why we love history and why we chose the topics we did and things that we learned from from writing those episodes. And
0: sometimes people are kind of following you. That story behind the story mm-hmm. is like, okay, here's how we found this document, that kind of thing. Yeah,
1: we get those questions all the time, so yeah. why not have a podcast that answers them?
0: And so have a lot of your YouTube fans uh, migrated over to the podcast at this point?
1: Uh, yeah, we, YouTube is still our audience. Yeah. Uh, and we do post the podcast also on YouTube, and people say, hey, why are there no pictures? Well, that's, that's the podcast. It's every other Tuesday. Yeah, But, uh, but no, I mean, our, my, my my primary audience is still YouTube, but I mean we've got a good audience in the podcast. It's grown very well, and, and you know podcasts are a lot more difficult. YouTube, kind of everything's on YouTube, so you can sell ads there. Podcasts are are presented through so many different channels. It's very difficult to get enough listenership to say sell ads on it. Yeah. So so we're very lucky on the podcast in that a sponsor that loves us on YouTube is willing to sponsor the podcast, and that's growing to the point where we'll be able to get a lot more out of the podcast. So.
0: How is certainly something everybody seems to be getting in on, but it also feels like there's a lot more competition on YouTube. You've got major like studios and, and producers mm-hmm. going up against you now. Is it hard to sort of maintain to keep those subscribers coming back?
1: It is. That's the shift in YouTube, the great shift in YouTube. I think partly occurred because of COVID. Is that a lot of major studios like the, the History Channel took a lot of their old content and they were trying to sell that as a pay channel. Apparently that didn't do well. They People just put don't all on like YouTube. to pay. Yeah. Yeah. And so so now I'm, I'm competing with these you know someone who's got much bigger. Than I do. And that's that's a struggle on YouTube. But I think that there's still an audience who like these these individual creators that are the heart of YouTube and enough to keep it going. But we're certainly looking to other ways to kind of diversify the revenue stream, so that's not the only thing that we're doing
0: give us just a, a little foreshadowing of a, where might you go with that uh,
1: well uh, there's a there's a great organization called Magellan TV who we advertise with a lot who is the, what they have is a, is a subscription service for documentaries uh, they're going to have on things like Apple TV and fire TV they're going to have a what they call a linear channel which means like traditional television it's it's not on demand it plays mm-hmm. when it plays uh, and it's supported by ads and we're going to be a part of that and r- relatively soon and, wow. and I'm excited to see how that goes
0: that's so cool well the history guy. Nothing stops you. You've got all these new, you know, you're, you're keeping this going, this this thriving business. I got to ask in just our final minutes here, our final moments here, TikTok, such a huge thing, so short. Would The History Guy ever go on TikTok?
1: I, you know, I, I don't know that it's my, I think we actually probably do have a TikTok page. I, I don't know that it's my format. I'm not sure how much history I can fit into it, but you know, it's, uh, I'll think about it.
0: You're never going to say never.
1: Yeah, I'll never say never.
0: <laughs> well, Lance Geiger, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Absolutely my pleasure.
0: Uh, the History Guy releases new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can see those on YouTube. We have a link to Lance's channel on our website. That's stlonair.show. This is St. Louis on the Air and St. Louis Public Radio. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air?